Parshat Toldot. Uh, I'm going to do things a little differently today. So 99 times out of 100, or maybe even more often, I begin with Psukim, with verses from the parasha. Um, today I'm not going to start with verses from the parasha. We're going to do that as source number two. Source number one is a Gemara in Yuma. The Gemara in Yuma, Daf Chavches Amad Beis, 28b, uh, I have it here as source one, both the original Hebrew Aramaic and the English translation. Amar Rav, says the Gemara. Rav, who was one of the great rabbis of Bavel, of Mesopotamia, of, of the Jewish settlement in what's today Iraq. Amar Rav, he said as follows, and by the way, it's a Mishnah. He's quoting a Mishnah which is in Kiddushin Perik Dalad, the fourth chapter of the tractate on Kiddushin, but here the Gemara discusses it, says Rav as follows, Ki Avraham avinu kol haTorah kula. Abraham, our patriarch, patriarch um, Avraham avinu, observed the entire Torah, meaning before it was given. Shene'emar, how do we know this? And by the way, this is a quotation from this week's parsha, from Parshat Toldot. We're going to discuss that in a minute, but first let's see the quotation. It's from Perik Chothvav Pasukhe, Ekev Asher Shama Avraham Vekoli. This is something that God said to Yitzchak because Ekev Abraham heeded my voice. And the Pasuk continues, this is not quoted in the Gemara, the Gemara just says, etc. Vayishmar Mishmarti Mitzvotai Chukotai Vetoratai. And he, um, he observed, he heeded my voice, he kept my charge, my mitzvot, my statutes, and my Torahs. Um, that is how we know that Avraham Avinu kept the whole Torah. Abraham, the founding patriarch of the Jewish nation, observed the Torah. What does that mean? Well, that's in fact the subject of today's shir. We're going to examine what that means. But on the face of it, what it means is that he shook lulav and sat in the sukkah on Sukkot. He ate matzah on Pesach, even though Yitziat Mitzrayim hadn't happened yet. He put tefillin on every day. And you're going to see the Gemara is going to come up with the most ludicrous sounding suggestion as to what this actually means. Omar Rav Shimi Rav. So Rav Shimi listening to this statement of Rav, responded and said to Rav as follows. Ve'ema sheva mitzvot. Maybe when the Mishnah there in Kiddushin said that Kiem Avraham Avinu Kula, that Avraham Avinu, the patriarch Abraham, observed the whole Torah, maybe what that means is not that he kept the whole Torah, the whole Torah that was relevant to him. What is the Torah, as it were, that's relevant to Avraham Avinu? The seven Noahide laws. That's really what's relevant. Sheva Mitzvot B'nei Noach says, uh, Rav Shimi Barachia to Rav, perhaps what it means when it says that Abraham observed the whole Torah is not that he kept Sukkot and Pesach and Tfilin or Shabbat or whatever else. He kept the seven Noachide laws. Says um, the Gemara, responds, it doesn't say whether Rav responded to him or whether this is an answer of the Gemara. Ha'ika nami mitzvot mila, mitzvot mila. What is, what is the answer the Gemara gives? It can't just mean the seven mitzvot of 
Noach, that was given to Noach as the way to conduct himself for all time. And these are laws and commandments and obligations and observations and observances, I should say, that are relevant for all nations for all time. It can't just mean that. Why not? Because we know that Abraham Avinu was also commanded in the mitzvah of circumcision. Says the Gemara, it can't just mean the seven mitzvahs of Noah. It also has to mean Brismila. So answers. So the Gemara responds to this, to this suggestion with another suggestion as to what Kiem Avraham Avinu Kalatora Kula means. It means for him, specifically for him, the seven mitzvot of Noah and also Brit Mila. The Ema Sheva Mitzvot Umila. Omar So says Rav, responding to this suggestion, this series of suggestions, Im Cain, if that's the case, mitzvotai v'toratai lamali. So Rav's ultimate response is to dismiss the question of Rav Shimi Barchia by saying that the fact that the pasuk continues with v'yishmor mishmarti mitzvotai chukotai v'toratai, uh, with all these various other categories of observances and mitzvot, etc., that are mentioned in this pasuk, that it cannot possibly mean just the Sheva mitzvot and milah. It must mean everything. Amar Rav, the Itamar Rav Ashi, and now this is what I said a moment ago, is going to sound ludicrous. So Rav continued and added something, and there are those who say that Rav Ashi added this, but either way, Kiyem Avraham Avinu Afilu Eruvei Tavshilin. We have a mitzvah called Eruv Tavshilin. It's not a mitzvah. It's a rabbinic, um, I wouldn't say requirement, but in order so that one can cook from Yom Tov um, for Shabbos, because you're allowed to cook on Yom Tov, you're not allowed to cook on Shabbos, but Yom Tov can come before Shabbos and people can't starve. And this is in the era before refrigerators, but even... You know, preparing, you're not allowed to prepare for anything that happens after a holy day. So if you have a Chag, for example, you have Pesach, and the next day is Shabbat. You're not allowed to prepare from Pesach for Shabbat, because you're not allowed to prepare for anything beyond the day that you're having the Chag, that you're having this festival. If that's the case, the rabbis came up with this device called Eruv Tafshilin, where you have this food that is prepared from before the Chag, that allows you on the Chag to cook or prepare food for Shabbat, which follows a Chag. It's something which is, is not mentioned in the Torah. It is a rabbinic um, addition, as it were, to the, to the laws concerning Chagim and Shabbat. So, says Rav, that you know what, I'm, when, when I say that he kept the whole Torah, or when it says that Abraham Avinu observed the whole Torah, what does it mean? It means not only he kept the Torah, he kept the Torah Shebichtav, Torotai, Shenema Torotai, Achat Torah Bichtav, Achat Torah Shebaalper. Even the Torah which is not in the Torah, the Torah that we know and we understand to be the oral Torah, the Torah that was transmitted to us by the rabbis as uh, to augment the laws, the mitzvot of the Torah, even that he observed. The idea behind this, it sounds like, is to tell us that we, modern Jews, who have thousands of years 
of tradition which enables us to observe the Torah, interpretations provided to us by centuries and millennia of rabbis, would recognize if we would walk into Sarah Imenu's kitchen, into the matriarch Sarah's kitchen, we would recognize all the restrictions that we are familiar with in her kitchen, and we would recognize everything that Avraham Avinu does in terms of the way he observes the Torah, and because not only is observing the Torah in terms of what's written in the Torah, but all the oral extras that are required and have been required by the rabbis over many generations, he also observed how he knew about them is a separate question that we're going to deal with. But essentially what the Gemara is, or Rav is, is trying to convey to us is that Abraham Avinu was a full-fledged Jew even before that concept existed. How does that sound to you? It doesn't sound very, doesn't sound convincing. I, I'll just give you a, a, a very, um, and we're going to come across it later. I'll give you the most basic example. I mentioned before tefillin. What is tefillin? Tefillin are the black boxes that guys wear every morning at Shacharit. In ancient times, they used to wear them all day long. The black box isn't actually what the holy bit is. What's inside the black box is parchment. What's written on the parchment? Shema. And also the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim, of the exodus from Egypt. So are we to understand that Avraham Avinu, Ward Filin, took parchment and wrote on it verses about a historic event that was going to take place in the future and wore those on his head? Is that... In other words, the whole point of wearing tefillin is Why do we need to remember Yitziat Mitzrayim? Because we need to remember the close relationship that God has with us. How do we remember that? Because we know he took us out of Egypt. Right? We say it on Seder night. He did it, not an angel. He did it, no one else. Right? Not Aliyadei Shliach, not Aliyadei Malach, not Aliyadei Saraf. God took us out of Egypt. Okay? If Avraham Avinu is wearing tefillin, what is the relationship that he has with something that hasn't even taken place? It's not something that's in the past, it's something that's in the future. So you're going to tell me that he sat down at Seder night and he ate matzah because Jews had matzah in Egypt and this is the bread of affliction and this is the bread of freedom. But they hadn't been to Egypt yet. So what are you talking about? How can you commemorate something that happened in the past if it never happened. It's only going to happen in the future. How are we meant to relate to that? What is the point of it? So I can understand if you're going to say that he, have, he had a four-cornered garment that he put tzitzis on because he knew Baruch HaKodesh that you need to wear, that the Torah is going to tell you. I can kind of understand it. I'm not saying I understand it. I can kind of understand that. But any law relating to uh, concepts that have no relevance to him because they haven't happened yet, it's, it seems ludicrous that in his relationship with God, it seems forced. Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? You're trying to force Abraham Avinu to be like a Jew after the Exodus and after Matan Torah. How is that even possible? How does it make sense? Did he have a Beit HaMikdash? Did he bring Karbanot in the Beit HaMikdash? Did he bring a Karban Tomid every morning, every evening? Did he, you know, did he bring a Karban Pesach on Erev Pesach? On what basis... Are we suggesting that Abraham Avinu not only kept all these laws, but all the rabbinic laws that surround, surround these laws and these mitzvot, to the extent that he would be 
um, somebody that we could recognize as a Jew in the year 2019 or whenever it is that we live, it'd be 1850 or 1732. Doesn't make any sense. It has no meaning. So when the Gemara teaches us something, we need to understand what the message is of the Gemara. What is the Gemara trying to tell us? And on the most basic, let's give it the most basic level. Okay? We want to appreciate Avraham Avinu. You know, I get asked this question from time to time. Was Avraham Avinu a Jew? Okay, we're descended from Avraham Avinu. So when did the first Jew exist? Your automatic assumption is, without thinking, that Avraham Avinu was Jewish. Whatever that may mean. How is he Jewish? Because we're all descended from him. We consider him to be a patriarch, a founding father of the Jewish nation. How can he be a founding father if he didn't keep mitzvahs? So the Gemara is trying to reconcile an image that we have of Abraham with the image that we have of ourselves. Don't imagine for one moment that Abraham wasn't like you. He also kept the whole Torah. But how is that even possible? All the Gemara's message could be, if you want to be a proper Jew, and the ultimate form of believing person of faith is Abraham, because he came to faith without anybody teaching it to him, right? There was no such thing as a monotheistic person in his, during the time that he lived. How are you a person of faith? So the, perhaps the message of Rav is, you can only be a person of faith if you're kiyamit kola Torah kula, if you keep the whole Torah. Otherwise, faith has no meaning. Yes, but that's not the way the Gemara presents it. The Gemara presents it almost, it sounds like, a historical fact. Who was Avraham Avinu? He's somebody who observed the whole Torah. He knew the whole Shulchan Aruch, with all the Ramaz, with all the Shachs and all the Tazas, and he knew the whole thing. He even knew the whole of Igris Moshe by Reb Moshe Feinstein, because it says he observed not only Torah Shebichtav, which we're familiar with as the five books of Moses, and the remaining 19 books of Nevi'im and Ketuvim, but he also kept everything that followed on from it. Halachal Moshe Sinai, and all the Talmud, and all the, all the uh, Rishonim, and Acharonim, everything. That's how, we, that's how it's being presented to us. How can that be historically accurate? By the way, I've got a better question for you. I'm kind of kidding, but I'm not kidding. Was he Ashkenazi or Sephardi? Did he follow the Mechaber of the Shulchan Aruch, or did he follow the Ramah? Wouldn't it be good if we knew that? What do you mean, Kiem Kala Torah Kula? How are we even meant to understand that? He followed only Beit Hillel, not Beit Shammai? Really? In which case, why did Beit Shammai even bother to open their mouth? If Avraham Avinu only kept the rules and the laws as presented to us uh, from Beit Hillel in the Talmud. The whole concept is ludicrous. That's what I'm saying. It sounds ludicrous. That's what we're going to try and unpack today. So let's look at source two. So here's, we, here are the Pesukim in the Torah. It's one, it, there's not that many stories about Yitzchak. Very, very few stories in the Torah about Yitzchak. Um, this is, this parsha really is stories about Yitzchak. And next, but usually he is a marginal figure even in his own stories, right? In the story of the Akedah, the story is not about Yitzchak. It's about Avraham, right? In the story about the blessings of Yaakov and Esav, the story is about Yaakov and Esav and maybe Rivka. Yitzchak is almost a marginal figure. He's, he's, a, he's a kind of, you know, he would win the role as best supporting actor, right? He'd win, for, it, 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 somehow he's not involved in the story. This is one of the rare stories in the Torah in which he is directly involved. He features and has a conversation with God. This is the story. Vayira Avba'aretz. 
to the beginning of chapter 26. There was a famine in the land. So, yeah, we know that there were famines, and there's one already recorded in the Torah. What famine is that? The beginning of Lech Lecha. Abraham Avinu came to the land of Canaan. El Go to the land that I'm going to show you. Gets shown the land. He gets there's nothing to eat. What does he do? So he goes to Egypt, right? He went to Egypt. Why did he go to Egypt? Because otherwise, how, how am I going to cope? What am I going to eat? Don't want to starve. It was one of the tests of Abraham Avinu. We've discussed it in the past. What would be the automatic reaction of Yitzchak Avinu in a situation where he finds himself in identical circumstances to his father? More than likely, he's going to follow in his father's footsteps. His father is the great Abraham Avinu. He's Yitzchak, his son. What's going to happen if there is a famine in the land of Canaan like the one that took place in the time of Abraham? What's he going to do? He's going to go to Egypt. So it's, this, this is, aside from the famine that we've already heard about that was in the days of Avram Avinu, So what did Yitzchak do? Interestingly enough, he did not go to Egypt. He went to the land of Pelishtim, which is, do you know where it is in modern Israel? It's in the strip of land below Ashkelon, what we today call the Gaza Strip. That was where the land of Pelishtim was. There was always problems there. There was this Philistine nation which li- lived on the Mediterranean Sea and it was bordered with the land of Canaan. They were a warring, quite a military-minded nation. And the king was known as Avimelech, like the king of Egypt was known as Pharaoh. The king of Plishtim was known as Avimelech. Avi means my father, Melech means king. So it must have, that must have been the formal title. We don't know his actual name, but we, his formal title was Avimelech. Vayera elav Hashem. Anyway, he gets to Plishtim, which by the way, is the route to Egypt. So you're either going to go from there by boat, I don't know if that's what they did in those days, or you're going to use, you're going to travel along the coast all the way to Egypt. So you t- travel along the coast um, to the very northern part of Sinai until you get to Egypt. That would be the route that you would travel. So Plishtim is the last place, as it were, in the Eretz Israel part of the, the geographic location. And you travel through Plishtim and you get to Egypt. But before his journey continues, or perhaps he'd stop there and he wasn't going to continue, we're not told that, God appears to him. And he says to him, Don't actually go down to Egypt. Whatever your intentions were, stay here. You must stay in the land um, that I'm going to tell you to stay in. Live in this land. And I will be with you. And I will bless you. Because to you and to your descendants, I will give this entire um, land of God, or these lands of God. And I will fulfill the vow or the covenant that I vowed together with Abraham, your father. In other words, the Plishtim is still borderline, but it's there. It's in the land of Canaan. This is the land. Stay here in this land. Don't leave the land. I will increase your descendants 
um, like the stars of the heaven. I will um, give your descendants all of these lands and all the nations of the earth will bless themselves by your descendants. And now we have the Pasuk, which is quoted in the Gemara that we had in source number one. This is the Pasuk. Listen carefully to what it means. So now we know the context of the Pasuk. The context is, this is a repetition of the covenant of the Brit Ben Abtarim that took place between Abraham and God, right? This is... Um, God delivering the covenant, as it were, personally to Yitzchak, saying, this is your land, stay in it, I will bless you, your children will be multiplied, will increase, and these are the lands that um, belong to you for all time. And now we have the Pasuk. Ekev asher shama Abraham bekoli. Do you know why? Because Abraham heeded my voice. Vayishmar mishmarti. And he kept my charge doesn't really explain what that means but he kept something which i told him to keep what else did he keep mitzvotai my commandments chukotai my statutes the torotai the correct translation of this is not the way the gemara translated it which was two torot as it were the torah that is written and the torah which is oral torotai means my instructions what does Torah mean? Torah means instruction, teaching, right? So he kept my instructions, my commandments, my mitzvot, whatever. All these things are things that Avram Avinu did in the merit of which the covenant I made with him is sustained with you and for your descendants for all time. And by the way, Jacob is going to have a similar conversation with God, right? After he runs away from his brother and goes and is on his way to Lavan. He's going to have a very similar conversation with God. Do you know who else has a conversation like that with God? Moshe Rabbeinu. It takes place four times during the course of this early period of Jewish history. The dawn of Jewish history, or the history of the Jewish nation. Abraham has the covenant with God. It's repeated to Yitzchak, as we just heard, the beginning of chapter 26. Again to Yaakov Avinu. And finally to Moshe. On four separate occasions, this Covenant is made and then repeated. Okay, this is the time. At this particular moment, it's done in such a way that God indicates that Abraham's um, close relationship with him, as demonstrated by the fact that he listened to everything that God asked him to do, was the reason or it was the, it was the foundation of the covenant. The Gemara is now using that to prove that Kiem Avram Avinu et Kola Torah Kula. Quite a leap, wouldn't you say? It's quite a leap. That doesn't sound like what the Pasuk is saying. It sounds much more like that what the Pasuk is saying is that God told Yitzchak, do you know why you, uh, that this covenant merits uh, to be sustained in you and your descendants? Because your father was so diligent in his relationship with me that whatever I asked him to do, he did. Doesn't sound, from the Pasuk at least, that we're talking about the whole Torah. It could be talking about the various things that God asked Avram Avinu to do over the course of time. And in fact, that's what some of the commentaries have to say about this. I have to tell you that this Gomorrah is an extremely controversial Gomorrah. And over the course of the scholarly 
examination of these Pesukim and the interpretation of Rav in this Gemara, there have been many who have sought alternative explanations because it would appear without them saying it, or at least without them saying it critically, that they are completely uncomfortable with the idea that Avraham Avinu observed the whole Torah. They don't want to go there. That is, you know, it's such a tenuous suggestion. They don't want to make that suggestion because it opens Judaism, and certainly the Talmud, up to great ridicule. But before we get to those people and try to understand what Rav may have meant without him meaning literally, what I'd like to do is look at Rashi, because Rashi is a literalist and he loves Chazal. As you know, Rashi, the great commentary Rashi, the commentator of commentators, the person upon whose word we rely whenever we interpret a pasuk in the Torah and, and wherever else he comments, is uh, really somebody who chose very carefully through Talmudic and Midrashic sources to give explanations of the Torah and to understand the words of the Torah. He felt the Torah was somehow not being understood in the way that it should be understood. And he sat down and wrote a perush, a commentary on the Torah. And to this day, the first place that anybody goes when they're studying any part of the Torah is Rashi. So let's look at what Rashi says. So at the bottom of page one, you have the Hebrew, but I've got the translation at the top of page two. Source number three, okay? Abraham heeded my voice, okay? So this is on the Pasuk, Shama Avraham Bekoli. What does it refer to? When I put him to the test, i.e. the ten tests of faith. So every time that, um, what does it mean, Mishmarti? I said before, it's a funny thing to say. It means that in specifically on the occasions when I tested him, in other words, not mitzvot in the Torah, things which are not related to mitzvot in the Torah, but things which were specific to him, he heeded my word, he took notice of what I said and did whatever I asked. For example, Lech lecha me'artzacha Leave the land, etc., etc., and go to the land that I show you. What did Avram Avinu do? An old man, he's 75 years old, what did he do? He left, he went, he did what God asked him. Go and take your son and offer him up as a korban. What did Avraham Avinu do? That's right. So he was um, somebody who listened to my voice. He was He kept my charge. This refers to precautionary measures which are intended to make us avoid the infringement of biblical prohibitions. Such as the rabbinical inhibition of marriage between relatives in the second degree and the rabbinical regulations regarding not doing certain acts on the Shabbat. And he, he quotes there to Gemara in Yivamot. In other words, Avraham Avinu was very careful about marrying those or not marrying those whom he shouldn't marry and about observing the very stringent laws of Shabbat. We're beginning to stray into ludicrous territory. What, what do I mean by that? Again, I'm not being critical of Rashi or Chazal. We're beginning to stray into territory which stretches um, one's, uh, 
It's, is it credible to say these things about Avraham Avinu? And the reason I'm saying that is because you're going to find that Ramban points these things out. Let me take it one stage further. If Avraham Avinu kept the whole Torah, what are we going to say about Yitzchak? That he didn't? What's the presumption? If Avraham Avinu kept the Torah, Yitzchak also kept the Torah, right? Maybe. Of course, he must have kept the Torah because he did what his father did. And what does that mean about Yaakov? Did he keep the Torah? Of course, well, if Yitzchak kept the Torah, then he kept the Torah. The Shvatim, did they keep the Torah? What is it, when it says, what is it saying? He's a foundation father of the Jewish nation. And all his descendants, at least the ones who didn't, as it were, go off the derech, right? Not Yishmael and not Esav, obviously observed the Torah, including Erev Tavshilin. That's the implication of the Gemara. So I want to ask you a question. It's not my question, it's the Ramban's question. What did Rashi just say here? That Avraham Avinu kept all the restrictions, observed all the restrictions about whom you are and whom you're not allowed to marry. Correct? That's what it says. Who did Yaakov Avinu marry? No, Yaakov. Who did Yaakov? Rachel and Leah. Are you allowed to marry two sisters? You're not allowed to marry two sisters. So Avraham Avinu kept the Torah, but Yaakov Avinu didn't? How does that make any sense? We're saying Avraham, Avraham Avinu was so special, but Yaakov Avinu... Now, the Ramban has an answer. We're going to see it later. Also one which stretches the imagination. But the point is that what Rashi is saying here, by the way, quoting Chazals, in and of itself, right? Minei Bay doesn't make much sense. Because how are we to understand that Avraham Avinu kept those restrictions, but his children and grandchildren didn't? Okay? And what about the laws of Shabbat? Did anyone observe Shabbat until Mount Sinai? Do you know the answer to that question? Jews in Egypt, did they keep Shabbat? No, definitely not. It's not mentioned anywhere. They're all, are they all good descendants of Avraham Avinu? When they, left. when they left. How do we know when they left? Because they got to a place called Marah and they got three mitzvahs there, one of which was Shabbat. Okay? The first Shabbat after Yitzhak Mitzrayim, they observed Shabbat. What about the Shabbat before? And the Shabbat before that? And the Shabbat, they didn't keep Shabbat. Uh, okay, whatever it is, but the, the point I'm making is that Avraham Avinu kept the stringent laws of Shabbat, but his descendants, the very from descendants, Moshe Rabbeinu, Aaron Akoyin, their father Amram, didn't keep Shabbat? Did the, did the Shvatim keep Shabbat? It, it would appear that Shabbat wasn't a thing. God created the, the earth in six days, however we understand that, and we've had Shirim on that as well, and on the seventh day is Shabbat, but not until Mount Sinai, not until, as it were, the Torah is given formally, and when we see on that Sarat Adibrot, Zachor or Shamor et Yom HaShabbat Likadsho, is Shabbat observed. So what is Rashi suggesting here? To, to quote him in the Hebrew version, here back to page one, by the way, which is secondary, not even the restrictions in the Torah, but the extra level of restrictions of people you cannot have a relationship with. Ushvut le Shabbat. What's Shvut le Shabbat? You know what Shvut le Shabbat is? Not the actual 39 Melachot themselves, but things which the rabbis enacted presented to us as ways of preventing us from ever straying into Chilil Shabbat. 
called Shavut le Shabbat. It's the most, it's the most lenient restriction. It's the first one, by the way, which you would discard in the event of a minor crisis. Somebody has an accident, for example, there's certain things you can do, even if it's not life-threatening, if there are only shvut restrictions. Okay? Avram Avinu observed, this is what Rashi is saying, the shvut, the most minor restrictions of Shabbat, every Shabbat. Are we to understand that? Really? Let's continue with what Rashi says. My commandments, okay? What's my commandments? Chukotai, um, mitzvotai, these matters which, had they not been written in the Torah, we would nevertheless hold that they are fitting matters to be the subject of a commandment, such as robbery and murder. Okay, so those things make sense in the context of what? Sheva mitzvot b'nei noach. We know that there's Sheva mitzvot b'nei noach, one of which is murder, one of which is robbery. So that makes sense. Okay, continues Rashi. My ordinances, chukotai, right? What a chukotai, says Rashi, matters which our evil inclination and the heathen's nation argue against the necessity of prohibiting. Here's a good example. Are you allowed to eat bacon? If you're Jewish, are you allowed to eat bacon? No. Why not? So you're going to say it's unhealthy? Why? I, I want to tell you something. There's billions of people on the planet who eat pork. And they, uh, they look okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not checking their cholesterol, but they look okay. I mean, uh, don't tell me that eating chunt with, uh, with a good helping of kishka is any better for your cholesterol than eating a piece of pork. So anybody could argue that the, the pork restriction is a restriction which is a chok. It's an ordinance. It's like, why should it be prohibited? But we've, we've prohibited it. What's Rashi saying here? Avram Avinu did not eat pork. For example, that's one of the things. Another one is wearing garments which are made of uh, wool and linen. What's that called? Shatnez. Is, is there anything wrong with a shirt that's made of wool mixed with linen? Nothing whatsoever. It's warm, it's durable, it's easy to wash, you don't have to iron it. It's great, right? Are we allowed to wear it? No. Avram Avinu, Rashi is saying, didn't wear mixtures of wool and linen. Things for which there are no apparent reasons, but which, as it were, the king's decrees and enactments imposed on his subjects. This is Gomorrah in Yuma, another Gomorrah in Yuma. Okay, Avraham Avinu kept these restrictions. Does that make much sense? At a certain level, perhaps. Perhaps he knew Baruch HaKodesh that these are things that you shouldn't do or God doesn't want us to do. In, his, in the future, his descendants would have the Torah where they wouldn't be allowed to do them. It, I could get my head around it, but even then. Really? Why? Has God told him not to do it? What's the point? What's the point of doing something? And here, by the way, it's referred to as chukotai. So Rashi is using the word chok in the context of the way it applies to us. But maybe it's got nothing to do with us. Maybe Avram Avinu had his own chukot. What are his own, what are his own chukim? What are they? Go and take your son and put him on a mizbeach and make him into a korban. Would anyone understand why God would want that from them? No one. So maybe Avram Avinu had his own chukim. <coughs> Chukotai with reference to Avram Avinu. Why does it have to mean shatnez? Why are we stretching ourselves to find something which is a chuk for us when he had his own chukim? You get it? And finally, the Torotai, 
The plural serves to include, this is the Gemara, the written law and the oral law, which prescribes commands that are an ancient institution given by God to Moses at Sinai, from Sinai, right? What's, what's, what is the meaning of this? The Torah wasn't given yet. This is, I don't know how many centuries before Mount Sinai, the Torah wasn't given yet. What do you mean he kept something which wasn't given? And not only that, but he kept the Torah Sheba'al Peh, which are, you know, all the different interpretations that the rabbis had, which are the ways, the way that we observe the Torah to this day. Really? That's what Avram Avinu kept? So that's what Rashi presents, by the way. That is the most, I guess, logical way to explain Rav in the Gemara and Yuma. If you want to really understand what Rav meant, this is what he must have meant. Because let's read the sentence again. Avraham Avinu et kola Torah kula. What does that mean? Abraham, our patriarch, kept the entire Torah. What does it keeping the entire Torah mean for us? All of these things that Rashi's just spoken about. We don't eat pork, we don't wear shatnas. We keep Torah Shebikhtav and Torah Shebaal Peh. We keep all the things that we're meant to keep, which include in Sheva Mitzvot Ben Enoch, but we keep them as well. That's what the Torah means for us. So when we read a sentence in the Talmud which says, Kiem Avram Avinu et kola Torah kula, what does it mean? It means what it means for us. That's what it sounds like. And Rashi is just using Chazal as the method by which to explain the Pasuk as understood by Rav in the Gemara and Yuma that we read right at the beginning. I've now put together in source number four um, a list of different instances in the Torah um, where something is mentioned that is later interpreted by Chazal to mean something that relates to the way we observe the Torah, even though the Torah wasn't relevant at the time. First time, it's, uh, the first thing I put here is the um, angels who came to rescue Lot from Sodom. What happens? He, they arrive in Sodom. Sodom is fairly inhospitable, I think it's fair to say. Except for Lot, Lot invites them in. What does he do with them? He gives them a meal. What is the meal? He made, um, he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Says Rashi, what does it mean? That he baked matzot. Do you know what it means? Ah, it was Pesach. It was the first night of Pesach, it was Seder night. So he gave them matzot. Not only Avram Avinu kept the Torah, according to this version, by the way, it's, it's a Medrash and Bereshis Rabbah, not only Yitzchak, we have presumed, or it sounds like, and Yaakov, etc., etc., all the way through to Moshe and Aaron, but even Lot kept the Torah, because when he went to Sodom, he didn't live with Avram Avinu anymore, he was his nephew, he ran away from him, or they split up, he went to live in Sodom, he's now living in the depths of depravity, or at least a city that's morally depraved, he invites a bunch of guests home, for a meal, it's the first night of Pesach, it must, it must have been Nisan, right? What does he serve? The matzah. Why? Because it's Pesach, that's what Rashi says. Okay, here's another example. The second example is um, when Yitzchak called Esav, he told him, I'd like you to get me a meal and I'm going to give you the brachot, okay? So it says, look, if you look, if, if you look at the third pasuk, 
Get your weapons, your bow and arrow, etc. Go to the Sadeh, find me a, um, something which is to be hunted. Says Rashi, what is that talking about? Sharpen your knife and slaughter an animal according to the laws of Shechita so that you may feed me, that, so that you do not feed me. It's a mistake here in the translation. That you do not feed me. Nevela. Really? He's telling his son Esau. We're not even talking about Yaakov. Do you know what Esau was? He's one of the biggest Rishayim of the, of the whole Torah. Right? I think we can all agree. He's, he's, if you're looking for the bad guy in the story, it's Esau. What does it sound like here? He's a Shaykhet. He's got a beautiful Shechita knife. And he's going to find whatever it is he's going to find for Yitzhak. He's going to make sure that the animal is kosher. He's going to check the lungs to make sure it's glut. Really? That's what, that's what it says. Rashi is quoting. It's also to another Bereshis Rabba. Yitzchok only ate kosher, and he trusted the shechita of Esav. It was under Esav's hechsha. Let's look at the third example I brought here. This is the most famous one of all. The posuk says, Yaakov Avinu comes back, and he is sending messages with gifts to Esav, his brother, to appease him because he's about to arrive with an army of 400 men. What are the 400 men going to do, does Yaakov Avinu think? They're going to kill him. So what does he say in his message? Im Lavan Garti, I lived with Lavan. What does, what does that mean? I lived with Lavan. What could it mean? You, you think I'm scared of you? I'm not that scared of you because I live with Lavan. If I knew how to deal with Lavan, I know how to deal with you too. Okay? That would be, if you're looking for context, that might be the context of why he would tell him this random piece of information. What does Rashi say? Very famous Rashi. Garti, Bigmatria Taryag. You know what Garati is? It's actually not a gematria. It's not the numerical equivalent. It's actually the same letters as Taryag, which if you work out the numerical value is 613. How many mitzvot in the Torah? It's a Gemara in Makkas. How many mitzvot in the Torah? 613 mitzvot. Imlavan Garati Kilomar. Imlavan Harasha Garati. I lived with the most wicked man. He was called Lavan. I lived with him. But guess what? The Taryag mitzvot Shamarti. I observed all the 630 mitzvot. And I didn't learn from his wicked ways. What is the message here? I remained righteous. God is with me. What does it sound like it means? The same as the Gemara and Yuma. The same as the Mishnah in Kedushin. The Yaakov Avinu kept the whole Torah. Where did he keep the whole Torah? When he lived with Lavan. Where did Lavan live? Did he live in Eretz Yisrael? No, he didn't live in Eretz Yisrael. So if Yaakov Avinu lived there and he kept 630 mitzvahs, how did he keep all the mitzvot hatuliot ba'aretz? All the mitzvot you can only perform in, in the land of Israel. I'll give you a good example of that. We, just, we spoke already about Pesach. Can you bring a korban Pesach in Lavan's house? Doesn't matter how many sheep you have, you can't bring korban Pesach. Never mind, it didn't happen yet. That Yitzhak uh, Mitzrayim was in the future. Even if you... Even if you're going to bring a Korban Pesach, you can't bring it. Can you bring Truma? No. Can you bring Miser? No. Do you want me to go through the whole list? How many mitzvot are there which are to Liot Ba'aretz? Which got nothing whatsoever to do with the house of Lavan. 
What do you mean, I kept 613 mitzvot? How could you have even kept them? I mean, taking it in its own, like, let's climb into this little paradigm, into this little world. Yaakov Avinu's message to Esav. What could Esav's message back to him have been? Have you gone crazy? How, how is it that you kept Tariyag Mitzvahs? You're trying to make me look like an idiot? You think I'm an idiot? I'm not an idiot. You couldn't have kept 613 mitzvahs. So it's a cute gematria, or, you know, changing the word, anagram. Isn't that the right word in English? An anagram. It's a cute anagram, but it makes no sense. How could Yaakov Avinu have kept 613 mitzvahs when he lived with Lavan? Let's look at source number five. This is just a cute aside, okay? This is a cute aside. Rabbi Ram Lifshitz was a Hungarian rabbi. And he writes here a story. I've translated it for you. It's a cute story. It happened to me once that I was sitting at a celebratory feast for a pidyon haben. Been to a pidyon haben before? We had one here in the shul a few weeks ago. Pidyon haben for 30 days. You exchange the child, as it were, for a few coins. Why, by the way? Because it should have been the firstborns who work for the Beis Hamikdash. It was changed in the book of Bamidbar, you can look at it. It was changed to the Levim, right? The Levim became the ones who worked in the Beis Hamikdash together with the Kohanim. But because a Bechor, a firstborn, has a status, if it comes from two Israelites, two Yisraels, therefore there has to be a Pidyon. You have to, as it were, give um, a monetary donation and get your child back because your child really belongs to the Beit HaMikdash, even though it never happened. And if you didn't give the money, the Bukhar wouldn't work in the Beit HaMikdash. Why? Because his place has been taken by a levy. Nevertheless, we have this concept of Pidyon HaBen. So this rabbi, Rabbi Lifshitz, who the author of the book Yalkut Avraham that I'm quoting this story from, okay, he lived... Um, between 1865 and 1934, he's once sitting at a suda of a pidyon haben with a bunch of friends among Torah scholars and the greatest rabbis. That's what he writes. And suddenly it occurred to me, he says, to ask them how it is that we don't find any reference in the early or later rabbinic works that Avraham Avinu made a pidyon haben for his firstborn son, Yitzchak. Yitzchak was the firstborn son. Right? After all, this is, he continues, Yitzchak was the one who opened his mother Sarah's womb, according to the law. So even though Avram Avinu had uh, Hagar and Yishmael, but it's irrelevant, right? It's not relevant to, to Apidion Aben, because every wife you marry, it's not about you, the man, it's about the wife. It's the first child that she had, and she's a Yisrael, and you're a Yisrael, then that first child has to go through a pidyon haben. So he says, how come if Avraham Avinu kept the whole Torah, look what he says, how is it that there is no written reference to that his, um, that his father performed this mitzvah? After all, don't, the, don't Chazal say that Abraham observed the entire Torah before it was given to the Jewish nation at Mount Sinai? Ki Avraham Avinu et kol Torah kula. So why doesn't it mention that he had, but by the way, it mentions that Yitzchak had a Brit. That is mentioned, but why isn't it mentioned that he had a pidyon haben? Do you see the extent to which this, I don't want to call it fiction, but this idea has run? Do you see how far this idea has run? This is a serious rabbi. He's sitting with other serious rabbis and they're having a discussion. Oh, isn't that interesting? Avram Avinu has a son called Yitzchak. 
There was a first son that he had with Sarah. Peterechem. Why wasn't there a pigeon aben? Why isn't it mentioned anywhere that he had a pigeon aben? And they're looking for answers. He comes up with an answer. Listen to the answer he gave. And perhaps one can answer that Abraham Avinu did not need to do a pigeon for his son Isaac because he was himself a priest as stated by the Talmud. So the Talmud has a reference. I didn't include the reference here, but he goes through a whole pilpul as to why Abraham Avinu would be considered a Kohen. Well, of course, if you're a Kohen and you have a child, even if it's the firstborn child of your wife, who is a daughter of Israel, you don't have to do a pigeon haben. But you see how far this idea has run. It's so serious that serious rabbis can consider this puzzle of how it is that Avraham Avinu didn't do a pidyon haben for his child Yitzchak. I'll tell you why he didn't do a pidyon haben for his child Yitzchak. Because even before, because this was before the Torah was given, it's before the Bechors were dismissed as those who should be helping at the Beit HaMikdash, and before the Levim replaced them, and therefore there was no need to do a pidyon haben. What do you mean, pidyon haben? It makes no sense. There's no Beit HaMikdash. There's no Kohanim. There's nothing. It's Avram Avinu living in a tent with four doors, with four openings. And he had a child called Yitzchak with Sarah. And he gave a Brit. Why? Because he was commanded to have a Brit and he gave one to his child. But why should he have a Pidyon Aben? There's no Beit HaMikdash. There's no Kohanim. There's nothing. Who would he pay the money to, by the way? Who would he give the money to? You have to, give, you have to find a Kohen, right? Who would there? There's no Kohanim. But you see how this theme has been developed and honed over centuries and centuries of, of scholarship, of Jewish scholarship, to the extent that we like consider it, okay, makes perfect sense. And therefore he should have had a Pidyon Aben. It's almost laughable. And yet this is a serious book. I'm going to park that because I'm going to now look at the Ramban. Everything I've said, which has sounded a little bit um, like heresy um, until this stage of the shir is not because I'm an Epicurus. I'm not. I'm relying on the Ramban and many others who are, as I said earlier, very uncomfortable with this notion that Avraham Avinu kept the whole Torah. They just are not buying it. Now, they're extremely respectful of Chazal and they're never going to say Chazal are wrong. They're just going to say well, I'm going to quote the Ramban here. Before I, I'm, I'm going to look at the actual um, the piece, the source that I've got here in the source sheet, I'm going to tell you something the Ramban said, which I mentioned in my um, lecture on his life. Um, Ramban said to Pablo uh, Cristiani, who was a convert from Judaism to Christianity, who debated, who had a religious confrontation with the Ramban, in Barcelona, it's a very famous story. One of the things which really he revealed and which began to be revealed at this time to Christians is that even though Jews are people of the book, they don't observe the laws in the book. And he quoted Chazal's. Christians were not familiar with Chazal. It's only much later that the Christians, by the way, the first ones to publish the Talmud, right? Sonsino in Venice, who's the first person to print the Talmud, is a Goy, it's a Christian. And there are a number of editions of the Talmud, the initial editions, the very most famous one is the Basel edition of the Talmud, were published by Christians. They were fascinated by the Talmud because they suddenly realized there's a whole alternative body of, of religious interpretation, which is not the New Testament, which is called the Talmud and the Midrash. 
They'd never heard of it before, or at least maybe they'd heard of it, but they were, were not familiar with it. And in this debate, um, uh, Christiani tried to undermine the Ramban by quoting Chazal's, saying, you take, you're not the people of the book, you're the people of the Talmud. The religious, the Jewish faith that we observe is a faith which is delivered to us. It's the Torah delivered to us through the prism, through the system of the Talmud. In which case, the Talmud and Midrash are very, very serious. And when they interpret things in a particular way, and obviously he's trying to use whichever chazals he was using. You can read the book. It's a, dis a book called Disputation by Haim Maccabee. It's a fascinating book uh, which records the details of this disputation, this debate between Christiani and the Ramban. He says, Chazal is serious. And this is what Chazal say, in which case your whole religion makes no sense. Says the Ramban in response, what are you talking about? The Chazal doesn't have to be taken seriously. Because Chazal used the foundation of the Torah, the text of the Torah, and of Tanakh in general, as a platform to teach important lessons. And there were ancient traditions on which they were based. But the story is the story. And the story is recorded in the Torah is the basic, you know, pieces of the puzzle that we have to look at. When we look at the Torah, we don't necessarily, by the way, this is completely different than the idea presented to us by Rashi, who doesn't say it, but who gives us every chazal whenever he's interpreting a pasuk in the Torah. Says the Ramban to Christiani, come on, don't use chazal against me. If you've got something to say, find it in the Torah. Because if you're going to use the narratives of chazal, we can take those with a pinch of salt. I wouldn't say he said it quite, you can take it or leave it. You can, he certainly said they don't have to be taken literally. Because there's a purpose of Chazal, there's a purpose of this Torah Shabbat Alper that sometimes is beyond our comprehension. And certainly it doesn't have to make sense in the way that things which are logical make sense. Now let's look at the Ramban on this concept of Abraham observing the whole Torah. If we follow Rashi's approach here, we must conclude that Abraham observed and kept the Torah before it was given. In which case we can ask, how did Yaakov set up a monument? Right? In Kenya, it calls Zebanui al-Das Shaya Abraham Mekayem Mishma'et et Torah ad shelo natna. Yeshlishol, im ken. Ech hekim Yaakov matseva. We're not allowed to erect any kind of monument. Right? It's called, what's it called? Avodah Zorah. And Yaakov Avinu put up a monument. How, how could he do that? And how did he marry two sisters? And by the way, according to the opinion of the rabbis, of Chazal, weren't two sisters because Bilhah and Zilpah were also their sisters. So he didn't marry two sisters. Do you know how many sisters he married? Four! Four sisters, an entire family. Four sisters. And how did Amram, Moshe's father, marry his aunt? Are you allowed to marry your aunt? Of course not. You're not allowed to marry your aunt. Amram married Yocheved. Yocheved was his auntie, if you look at the genealogy of the Levite family. How was he allowed to marry his aunt? Surely Amram kept the Torah. You're suggesting that Avram Avinu was the foundation stone of Torah observance in the world, and yet his descendants clearly and flagrantly violated the precepts of the Torah. Says the Ramban, Vahanire Eli, in my view, based on the opinion of our rabbis, Abraham learned the entire Torah from holy inspiration, 
Ruach HaKodesh, and was occupied in its study and in understanding the reasons for its commandments and its secrets, and he abided by all of it like someone who's com not commanded and observed. He wasn't a Mitzvah Oseh. He couldn't, he, did, he wasn't commanded to keep the Torah. Perhaps what Ramban is suggesting, he observed those things of the Torah which he knew with Ruach HaKodesh, not as somebody who has to do it, but as somebody who took it on upon himself. And by the way, if those people who were of his descendants decided not to take it on, they didn't do anything wrong. Why? Because the Torah wasn't given yet. In other words, his keeping the Torah, is not something that obligates his children and descendants. It's something, a private thing that he did for himself. If he knew those things, Baruch HaKodesh, he did it for himself. Look, and now he says something which is really startling. But his observance of it was only in the land of Israel. Do you know what? There's another element to this which we've left out. Avram Avinu lived in the land of Israel. Therefore, in the land of Israel, he observed the laws of the land of Israel. The implication here, the Ramban seems to be saying, you don't really need to observe the Torah outside the land of Israel. Sounds like that. Look what he says. Yaakov married two sisters. Where were they? Outside the land of Israel. And also Amram was outside the land when he married his aunt Yocheved. Since the commandments are the law of the God of the land. Mishpat elokei ha'aretz. The simple meaning, now he, now he has another interpretation. So that's one interpretation, which is that if you're going to observe mitzvot as somebody who is a patriarch or from that family, like Lot, okay, or like Esav, who's doing shechita, if you're going to get by into that paradigm, it only applies to the land of Israel. Those laws certainly don't apply outside in Haran, okay? But he adds now another part. He says the simple meaning of the text is that we can say that Mishmarati is faith in God's divinity. It's what I said earlier. Do you know what Mishmarati means? It means I believe in God. Abraham believed in the oneness of God. Like we say Shema Yisrael every day. He didn't need to say Shema Yisrael. He was somebody who God knew believed in him and in his oneness. And he kept this charge in his heart. And in this way, he differed from the idolaters and he proclaimed the name of God to bring back multitudes to the service of God. He was um, a, a, an early evangelist. That's what he was doing. He was proclaiming monotheism in a world of polytheism. That was his role as he saw it. He had discovered God. I want to share God with you. Somebody came to his tent. We had it last week. He said, you come to my tent, you make a bracha. You don't make a bracha, you need to pay for the food. Why? Because if everything is then you have to pay for the food. If you don't, if you're willing to admit that there's one God and he provided you with the opportunity of stopping by my tent to eat something, make a bracha. He was proclaiming the name. That's what it means that he kept my mishmar. Okay. Similarly, uh, my commandments, mitzvotai, is a reference to all that God had commanded Abraham specifically, as I said earlier, namely Lech Lecha and the Akeda, and sending away Hagar and her son Yishmael. What's chukotai? My ordinances. Remember before, Rashi suggests that it means those things that we don't understand, like shatness and eating pork. 
is a, says the Ramban, no, that's not what it means. It means it's about going in the ways of God to be graceful and merciful and to do righteousness and justice and to command his children and his household about these things. That's what Chukotai means. In other words, the Ramban is saying, why are you stretching this to mean Kiyem Abraham Avinu et Kola Torah Kula? It doesn't make any sense. Let's just go with the, the Pashut Pshat, the meaning of the words as we understand them. The Torah Tai, Remember what the Gemara says, it means Torah Shebikhtav and Torah Shebaalpeh. Ramban says, no, come on, don't be silly. My laws is a reference to specific laws that he was commandment, commanded. What? Like Brit Milah. Even the Gemara mentions Brit Milah. He was commanded to, to do the circumcision on himself and on his children and servants, along with all the commandments of the children of Noach, right? The Sheva Mitzvot B'nei Noach, which is the original answer of the Gemara. In other words, the Ramban says that original answer of the Gemara makes the most sense. That's what this Pasuk means. Kiyem Avraham Avinu et Kola Torah Kula? What are you talking about? How is it even possible? What do, we, what, do we even, what do we even imagine it could mean? Let's look at number seven. Number seven is the Ben Yishchai. And he has a wonderful, in, in Ben Yohoyada, he has a wonderful interpretation. Benir Ali, he says, Hainu, what does it mean? to observe mitzvot if you can't observe them. If you observe a mitzvah and you're not commanded to keep the mitzvah. For example, somebody is converting to Judaism. Okay? And they don't want to eat pork. They decide they're never going to eat pork again. Is there any value in them keeping the mitzvah? Well, the real value of keeping the mitzvah is some um, spiritual essence in keeping the mitzvah when you're commanded to keep it, and that has an effect in Shamayim. What is the effect? I have no idea. But it has an effect. If you're not commanded to do it, it may be a very nice thing to do it, but it doesn't really have any value except for your own. You want, you want to take that thing on, and eventually you're going to convert, by which time you'll be used to not eating pork or observing Shabbat or whatever. Aval, gorem the very origins, the source of the mitzvah is enhanced as a result of the person who's commanded to keep the mitzvah, keeping the mitzvah. That is the point of keeping a mitzvah. The whole point of keeping a mitzvah is to create some spiritual elevation. And that can only happen through keeping it because you have to keep it. But if you don't have to keep it, what's the point? Okay? The Chol Po'el Ruchani Isha'er Kayam. And any type of spiritual enhancement, some elevation that is resulting from a mitzvah, is not something that only lasts for that minute. It lasts forever. You can say about somebody who is commanded, Kiyem et Kolaturakula or et mitzvah hazot. Right? He, he was a mekayem. He created a kiyum through the observance of a mitzvah. Through his action, he is creating some eternal change in the spiritual realm. Our patriarch, Abraham, a blessed memory. Even though he wasn't actually commanded, he, in fact, had not been commanded to do anything in terms of observing, let's say, not eating pork or keeping Shabbat, right? He was not a mutzuvava oseh. So, im shayach bo lashon kiyum. Nevertheless, you know what the lesson of the Gemara is? 
קיים אברהם אבינו את כל התורה כולה. Even though he wasn't commanded, as a result of the fact that he was the first and probably only self-generating monotheist, he was zocheh, he merited that when he observed a mitzvah, it caused a kiyum even if he wasn't commanded to keep it. He had a special baracha associated only with him, kiyem Avram Avinu. It's not referring to Yaakov and Yitzchak and Esav and Lot and all these other people. It's got nothing to do with them. It's specifically about Abraham Avinu. Because of his elevated spirituality, his unique ability to discover God when everything around him was the absence of God, the only person in history to have done that, he achieved a special elevated status in terms of Kiyum through performing mitzvot with whatever they were, even if he wasn't commanded to do them. And that's the Chiddush that Rav wants to teach us. That's what Rav wants us to know. Even though it says that Avram Avinu did the whole Torah, whatever that may have meant, he wanted to add this word, Kiyem, that he created a kiyum. This, we're already beginning to see um, a path as to how we can understand Avraham Avinu observing the Torah. Avraham Avinu observing the Torah doesn't necessarily mean he kept mitzvah because there was no such thing as a mitzvah. But there's something to do with spiritual elevation, something to do with spiritual perfection. And he had... Um, an extraordinary ability that he could effect that spiritual elevation because he was Avraham Avinu. Now look at what the Shem Mishmuel says. Shem Mishmuel, the Sochachover, he says something which is really what the Ramban is saying, but he expresses it beautifully. And by the way, he's not the only one. Many people come up with this idea, and it's the one which really in the way that we can understand it, is the easiest one to understand. When it is said, says the Shem Ishmur, that Abraham kept all of the Torah, this certainly does not mean that he kept them, the mitzvot, as they are today. Absolutely not. For this would be an impossibility for most of the Torah's commandments. For one thing, many of them are dependent upon the exodus from Egypt. Zecher litzias mitzrayim. You can't remember something that hasn't happened. Even if you know Baruch HaKodesh that it's going to happen, you can't create a memory of something that hasn't actually happened. And you certainly can't do something to commemorate a memory of something that hasn't happened. Therefore, any mitzvah which has as its foundation Zecher Litziat Mitzrayim, any of those mitzvot he could never observe. Even if he ate matzah, he's not really observing it. Why? Because it's not Zechel Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. He's eating a piece of matzah on Pesach. Wonderful. But it's got nothing to do with Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim because it hasn't happened yet. You can't remember something that hasn't happened. The whole point of eating matzah and mora and korban Pesach and all those things is Zechel Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. So the Shem Yishmul, you can't do Zechel Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim if it hasn't happened. Rather, he says, the explanation is the light of mitzvot. There's some power of mitzvot which we don't necessarily understand. And he could be mekayem that mitzvah, even without being commanded to do it. And indeed, 
without even doing it. Can you imagine you could observe a mitzvah without having to do it? This is where you get into dangerous Kabbalistic territory. What is the power of a mitzvah? Do you think not eating pork has any power whatsoever in the physical world? None. I mean, you could say for health reasons, does it have any real power? If you're eating chulnt and kegel every Shabbos, it, has, it has, makes no difference. What is the power of not eating pork? I can't tell you, but I can tell you there is a power. There is a source of that mitzvah which is very powerful. And when we see a piece of pork and we don't eat it, or when we get to a Shabbat and we observe the Shabbat, we may be very bored. Could be. My kids complain to me. They say, what should we do Shabbos afternoon? We're keeping Shabbos. Imagine Abraham Avinu had the power to do that without actually doing the mitzvah. Why? Because he wasn't commanded to do the mitzvah. It could even be that he ate pork. I've got no idea. There's no way of knowing what he ate. Maybe he was a vegetarian, I don't know. He couldn't bring a Korban Pesach, that we know for sure. Why? Because there was no Yitzhak Mitzrayim. But how about this? Even without bringing a Korban Pesach, or ever knowing about Korban Pesach, he could achieve the result of what would have happened had he been commanded to bring a Korban Pesach and brought it without ever having to do it or doing it. The power of a mitzvah without actually doing the mitzvah. Achieving the result of doing the mitzvah without knowing about it, perhaps, but certainly without doing it. That's the koach of Avraham Avinu. It's taking the idea of the Ben Yehoiada even further, the Ben Yishchai's idea of the kiyum of the mitzvah, to the next stage. Avraham Avinu doesn't have to keep a mitzvah in order to achieve the net result, which is a spiritual change in heaven. The patriarchs, he says, listen, listen to what he says. The patriarchs observed the mitzvot using different tools and clothing than were used after the giving of the Torah. We don't know how they didn't eat pork, but we know they achieved the net result, whatever the result was of not eating pork, even without knowing about it, perhaps, but certainly that wasn't, the, that wasn't the key to their achieving whatever the result was. Yaakov Avinu can marry four sisters. By the way, even in Eretz Yisrael, as we're going to see, um, I'm not going to be, get to it, I just want to say they're a duck, but uh, the, one of the questions on the Ramban is, what do you mean he didn't marry sisters in Eretz Yisrael? If he married four sisters and he came back to Eretz Yisrael, and they were with him in Eretz Yisrael. Was he married to sisters in Eretz Yisrael? Yes, he was. In which case, the Ramban's theory doesn't make any sense. Because Yaakov, he says that the, they only kept the mitzvot in Eretz Yisrael. Outside of Eretz Yisrael, they didn't keep them. So he should have divorced them before he got to the land of Israel. He didn't divorce them, did he? So the idea is that Yaakov Avinu can be married to sisters in Eretz Yisrael. There's no problem. And he can still achieve the same result as if he wouldn't have been married to sisters. The result of that mitzvah, whatever the source of that mitzvah is, was enhanced, was elevated, without him observing that mitzvah. The power of the mitzvah, without ever having to do the mitzvah. That's what kiyem, kola Torah kula means. Avraham Avinu, do you know what, to, ex to what extent? Even to the extent of Eruv Tafshilin. Even to the extent of a shvut on Shabbat, the minimal 
um, restriction of Shabbat, the Shavut, Abraham Avinu, who may not have kept Shabbat, he achieved the same result as if he would have kept Shabbat all the way through until the minimal rabbinical restrictions that we observe on Shabbat in order to protect us from violating one of the 39 Melachot. That's the level of Kiyem Abraham Avinu et Kola Torah Kula. We're going to look at source number 9 and I'll leave those who are listening online to look at source number 10 in the, in the source sheet which they can download on the website. This is the Radak. What about the Talmudic reference to Erev Tashilin? Our sages claim that Abraham observed all the commandments spelt out in the written and the oral Torah, including rabbinical laws such as Erev Tashilin. They base this on the word Mishmarti, as they regard this word as referring to the type of preventive measure introduced by the rabbis to safeguard us against violating biblical injunctions. What the rabbis meant, therefore, was that Abraham invented such safeguards for himself in order not to violate the basic prohibitions that he was obligated to observe. So he says, don't take Rav literally. Rav, it doesn't mean that Avraham Avinu kept Erev Tafshilin. Of course he didn't. There was no such thing as Chag, and there was no such thing as Shabbat. So what do you mean there was Erev Tafshilin? But Avraham had his own mitzvot. Do you know how diligent Avraham Avinu was in keeping mitzvot? He invented the concept of the rabbinic restrictions to protect the primary mitzvah. He invented this idea. He was, as it were, the first rabbi. He says, it's not enough for me to keep the mitzvah, whatever that mitzvah was that God gave me. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create extra boundaries and boundaries around those boundaries. And I'm going to find ways of observing this mitzvah in such a way that I'm going to do it properly. I'm going to create regulations and rules and ideas and customs and whatever it is, whatever the mitzvah was that God gave him, whether it was Brit Milah, whether it was the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach, whatever it was, every mitzvah that he'd received from God had its own um, restrictions and restrictions around restrictions, a systematic approach to the observance of those mitzvot, similar to the idea, that's what Rav is suggesting, says the Radak, of Eruv Tafshilin, to the extent that he'd taken it all the way through down to the end. So I think that I presented, if I may say so, a rounded picture of this idea that the Avot, and specifically Avraham Avinu, observed the whole Torah. And we have multitudes of ways of understanding it. There's the literalist approach as you know, as I guess presented in the basic translation of the Gemara and in Rashi's interpretation presented to us in his commentary on the Chumash, then we have the Ramban, we have various other approaches which we can be comfortable with, you may be comfortable with a literal version, but every idea has validity and somehow we can now appreciate the concept of Avraham Avinu, Kiyem et Kol HaTorah Kula. We'll leave it here for today.